United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky. Happy holidays and happy Christmas Eve as we bring you this special holiday edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast, and it is most definitely special. We kick off with longtime Soccer America columnist Paul Gardner, who has been selected as the recipient of the inaugural United Soccer Coaches Media Career of Excellence Award. His quick wit and thoughtful insights are always welcome. And he delivers again on what he says is his first ever podcast appearance. Following Paul, we visit with Michael Francis Pallone, the son of longtime head coach Joe Pallone of the United States Military Academy. Michael's dad, Joe, passed away in 2002 at the age of 92, but United Soccer Coaches salutes what he did for the game by putting him into the Hall of Fame with the late, great Ziggy Schmid and Horace Richardson. A fixture on the Army sports team for a period spanning four decades, Pallone retired as Army's all-time winningest men's soccer coach. He actually coached Michael, who we speak with at Army, and both Michael and his dad are also in the Army Sports Hall of Fame. Good to hear from Michael Pallone on behalf of his father. Ohio University's Masters of Coaching program received a Certificate of Appreciation, and Dr. David Carr, who heads up the Masters program and is on the United Soccer Coaches Board of Directors, will accept that certificate at the Digital Convention, and he joins me. 1991 world champion member of the U.S. Women's National Team, Amy Griffin, who is now the technical director for the Olau Rain Academy, is moderating a panel at the Digital Convention called Embracing Challenges and Developing Resiliency. On her panel is U.S. women's soccer legend Christine Lilly, Brown University head coach Kia McNeil, and the talented Samantha Snow. Amy Griffin is on to break down that presentation, and we end by meeting Zach Kruger, a member of the 30 Under 30 class and head coach at Seton Hill University, and we finish our Big Ten and 10 series by talking Rutgers women's soccer with their great head coach by way of Kearney, New Jersey, Mike O'Neill, and one of the best goalkeepers in Rutgers history, Casey Murphy. It's a holiday special, and it's all for you after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. United Soccer Coaches announced back on October 27th that longtime Soccer America columnist Paul Gardner has been selected as the recipient of the inaugural United Soccer Coaches Media Career of Excellence Award. The award was established to provide an opportunity for the association to recognize a media professional for a distinguished career covering the events and issues of soccer in the United States. The award will be presented during the association's annual awards ceremony taking place Wednesday, January 13, 2021, as part of the United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention. For over five decades, 
Paul Gardner has covered U.S. and international soccer, writing more than 1,000 columns for Soccer America. He has written for Sports Illustrated, the New York Times, USA Today, the New York Daily News, Sporting News, Village Voice, Times of London, The Guardian, and Independent, and has been a contributor to World Soccer in the U.K. for nearly 50 years. He served as a color commentary for the first ever live telecast of a World Cup final in the U.S. in 1982 and served alongside Jim McKay calling NASL games from 79 to 81. He did commentary for NBC at the 86 World Cup, then college games on ESPN. Gardner has covered nine World Cups, 10 U-17 World Cups, in addition to FIFA U-20 World Cups, the Olympics, European Championship, and Copa America. And joining me now is the legend that is Paul Gardner. Paul, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure, Dave. When you got the news that you won this inaugural award, Paul, how did it make you feel, my man? Very pleased, obviously, and um, surprised because um, over the years I've had plenty of differences with coaches, not not individual coaches particularly. I mean, obviously, if you're if you're moving around the soccer world, you're going to run into and meet and get together with and get to know a lot of coaches, and um, I've done that. Uh, coaches at all levels, from youth coaches up to World Cup coaches, and. Um, I've not really had any personal disagreements with with very, very few of them here. As a group, that's another matter. I think they've fallen short of what they could and still should uh, be doing. So, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise to find them, uh, them, the coaches, all people, giving me that award. Well, we've all looked forward all the time to reading your great work at Soccer America, and I feel like... With this being the inaugural one and with Lynn Burling, I'll emphasize Burling Manuel being a CEO and, of course, your close relationship with Clay Burling, I think it makes it even more special. Can you comment on that? Well, I mean, Clay, uh, closely followed by Lynn, obviously has been a key figure, not only in my uh, contribution, such as it is to soccer, but to the sport itself. They've always been around, they've always been there, and, um, they, you know, they, they're absolutely vital to have people like that, people who you can rely on, and who are willing to sort of their money where their mouth was or put them or is that the other way around i can never remember <laughs> whatever it is um you know at a time when the sport um didn't have much uh, much backing it it got it early and uh, it got it persistently from clay followed by lynn they're wonderful people well they are wonderful people and it's a wonderful publication and now it's more electronic obviously and you know, you've been able to roll with the times, Paul. As you mentioned, you were kind of joking. You know, I'm not sure what a podcast is. I don't know if I believe that. I bet you've been on other podcasts. I have the faintest you... idea what a podcast is. I, mean, <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even understand the term. Pods belong with peas. Is, is, uh, <laughs> that's about all I know. <laughs> well... Make no mistake, though, the way that Soccer America has been able to adapt and continue to get a great following, that's got to move you a little bit, right? Uh, well, move in more than one sense, yes. I'm um, trying to keep up with all the various technological changes that are going on. Uh been a bit of a struggle for somebody as ancient as uh, as I am. Uh, you know, there, there are so many changes, and they come so quickly. And at some point, you feel you just want to say, oh, enough already. I, I, uh, you know, I'll go back to my uh, manual typewriter. And, uh, well, of course, you can't. You can't go back at all. <laughs> You've got to keep pressing ahead. I think I've reached the stage now where maybe, uh, having become horrendously old, um, 
it's not necessary to keep up with those things now. I'm sort of, I suppose I could call myself semi, maybe even more than semi-retired now. Well, we want you to keep on writing, and that's uh, one of the reasons why we want to recognize you. But, you know, as we think about today, and as uh, you just called yourself semi-ancient, it's actually looking like youngsters that might lead the U.S. to return to the World Cup. When you reflect on not making that last World Cup and now seeing all these youngsters, including Claudio Reyna's fine young son, Gio, getting it done, how excited are you about perhaps U.S. turning it around on the men's side and getting something done with a lot of young, exciting players playing over in Europe? Well, the player situation um, is remarkable in uh, not in the fact that we're getting good young players. I've, I felt we we've had them or at least had the ability to have them for a long time uh, and uh, it has not I want to say be allowed to but it has not come to the fore for a whole variety of reasons which you know it'll take me far too long to go into here now um, they are coming and they're good and what is more to the point we're getting um, the sort of players that we should have been concentrating on before. We're getting midfielders, we're getting forwards. We've always been uh, marvelous with goalkeepers, who, of course, aren't even soccer players, as you and I well know, and we've been very good on defenders. But when it came to the creative, uh, the sharp end of the team, the creative end and the goal-scoring end, we were lacking. Now we're suddenly getting, um, well, I say hundreds of them, but it seems like a score of them, which is... I mean, that's tremendously good news to me. I like it. Paul, one of the consistent themes you've had over the years, even dating back to when I started back in 1989, is, you know, begging, asking U.S. soccer to have more of a Hispanic-Latino flair. Do you feel like they're moving forward on that request that uh, you've made on multiple occasions? Uh, request is putting it mildly. Um, I've been tearing my hair out over it. Um, if you start, if we start with MLS, where there was always more possibility that, um, that there would be movement there, because MLS is very much uh, obviously d- depends on results. It's result oriented, and if you can prove that you've got a certain type of formula that works and that wins and that attracts fans, then even if the players all come from Mars, they're going to be signed by, by MLS clubs. And that's what has happened. Um, and I feel that uh, I've seen there, and, and we're still seeing it now, we've just seen it, in fact, with the conclusion of the MLS season, that I think it's fair, fair to say that all the best teams in MLS, I mean all, have gone to South America and come back with, with uh, in the South American sense, uh, a number 10. Most of them are Argentine. But, um, I mean, if you look at Bob Bradley's team, which had an extraordinary win uh, last night, over half that team are Hispanic players. And that is very, very encouraging to me because not only um, is it, in a sense, uh, bringing a, a prediction or certainly a wish of mine to life. So, I mean, I can uh, thump my chest and burst about that if I want to, but that's not the point here. The point is that it creates a much better, a much more all-inclusive, a much more attractive, a much more exciting, dynamic, goal-scoring game than, than we've had before. We've been, we've been I think, not... Um, not too clever about the sort of game we've been playing here. I mean, it, 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 my point always was to point out that, you know, we've got a world game here. We're not 
England West. We don't have to play like England. We don't have to play like Germany. We don't have to um, is to slavishly copy what certain countries have done. We should create what is right for us. And here we sit, a huge ex-colonial country with a very, very varied population. And why aren't we looking at the one other country in the world that that has a similar setup, namely Brazil. What is it that Brazil have done and were made in the world's most successful soccer country with conditions that are so similar to ours? Well, uh, for a while, we never looked down there. We always looked to Europe. We were always going to England and Scotland. I mean, Scotland, I have to say, (laughs) I don't want to be you know, rude and uh, sort of dismissive about the Scots. I grew up with a lot of Scottish soccer in England at the time when nearly every English team had a Scottish player, and they were the best players. Now, that's gone. It's completely gone. It's absolutely extraordinary. Um, it's, it's horrendous, in a sense, what's happened to Scotland itself, what's happened in Glasgow, where, where the dockyards, the mines have all closed. Those are the areas that all the players came from. They're not coming anymore. You'd be hard put if I said to you now, name me a world-class Scottish player right now. I don't think you'd be able to do it. And that is so different from what it used to be. Now, if um, if we're still looking there, we're looking in the wrong place, that's very clear. We should be looking, should have been looking for much longer uh, south of the border. And we're doing it now. Well, MLS is doing it now. It, it's going to take, it, it, it shouldn't do this, and I'm not clear in my own mind exactly what the problem here is. Um, but as far as the Federation is concerned, and as far as the national team is concerned, you can see things are beginning to turn around there. And, and at the youth level in particular, if you look at all the best youth teams in the country now and you see how many of those teams are in California, in Southern California, and maybe in Florida, maybe in Texas, in, in short, where, where the Hispanic players are. It's difficult now to... I, I think you've got to be deliberately perverse to not want to bring all that aboard, so to speak. Not to try and change it so that they play like England do. <laughs> much point in that, is it? Uh, bring them in and let them contribute what they can. I think with that, we'll get the, we'll get the much more exciting, much more varied, much more lively game. Uh, a, that the fans here deserve, and B, that will get us where we want to be on the world scene. Great to kick off the... United Soccer Coaches podcast with Paul Gardner, who wins the inaugural media long-term service award from United Soccer Coaches. He'll be recognized midweek of the digital convention, January 11 through 15. Paul, if you um, can reflect a little bit and, you know, coming up after you actually is Michael Francis Colon, who'll be talking about his dad who's going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed the two Schmid boys about Ziggy Schmid. Are there three or four people that come to mind that have made a difference for U.S. soccer that hold a special place in your heart, Paul, or is that too tough a question? I think there's, there's a lot of such people, uh, I, I think, um, who, you know, at different times and, and in different areas of sport um, have been extremely influential and, you know, maybe uh, probably almost certainly haven't, got the sort of exposure that they should have got. I'm thinking of people like like uh, Clive Toy, uh, who had tremendous influence on the game uh, when he was 
in charge of the cosmos um, because that really was the beginning of something quite different there. It didn't last okay, but it never went away. It's, it's obviously everything he did there was so important. And it, it created something which, uh, which proved that it was possible. It, that particular version of it, as I say, it, it disappeared after a while, which led a lot of people who hadn't thought about it too deeply, I think, to imagine, well, okay, well, that's not going to work then. That version of it didn't, but what, what he was able to put into practice, what he could open people's eyes to see what there was in the future to be had there, that was so important, and I think he um, he deserves a tremendous amount of respect there, which which on the whole he didn't get, and I think um, it was very difficult for him to see MLS come along and um, follow in the footsteps of a lot that he'd done, and at the same time completely ignoring him. <laughs> that's, that's, but I'm afraid uh, what happens to a lot of uh, a lot of pioneer type people, uh, but I, I think uh, Clive would be a good example of, of the sort of uh, sort of person that I'm uh, that I'm talking about here. In the coaching confederation, I mean, there are a lot of people, a lot of coaches who I think are good men who've had good ideas who've never basically um, had the opportunity to put them into practice. And by and large, that would be, I would be talking about people from the ranks of college coaching, who I've, I spent a lot of time with. There was a time when I was very into college soccer because I felt that this was the future of the game. I was wrong. I recognized early on most, I think, that this wasn't going to go anywhere. But it was very sad to see, and I still see it, unfortunately, um, the thoughtful guys, the guys who knew that something had to change there and, and were always agitating for change, like changes to the rules, like changes in the season, and so on, who never ever got anywhere. It was just like really running into a brick wall, um, whether it was the NCAA who, who were thwarting them or whether it was their own uh, their, their own colleges uh, or different colleges in, 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 uh, in different setups who didn't want to agree with, with, the, with the soccer people themselves. It's a very difficult time for them. And there was a lot of good guys there. Um, I'm thinking of, of people like, uh, well, John Rennie, for instance, who always made a lot of sense to me about what needed to be done to make college soccer more relevant, to, to make it a more impactful part of um, part of the soccer scene. More recently, Ray Reed at, at Connecticut, the same story exactly. Years later, the same thing. Having good ideas, having marvelous ideas, being full of enthusiasm for them, putting them before people, putting them before the NCAA, trying to get them implemented and really not getting anywhere. And it, 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 it's been very sad to watch that. The ability of those people to keep going uh, <laughs> in, in the face of more or less constant reversal of what, what, they, what they're trying to do has always seemed to me pretty remarkable, I must say. Yeah. You know, respect and rewards and awards come in different forms. Uh, my last question here is we have just a couple more minutes with the legendary Paul Gardner. And well, before Paul. you ask your last question, let me ask my last one. How does one receive an award at a convention that isn't being held? I don't understand all that. <laughs> well, it'll that, be that, that technology that I should shut up about because I won't understand yeah. it anyway. That is, and we hope that uh, somebody can be with you, that you can receive it via the computer, but it sounds like that might be a stretch. I've already got the trophy, so I don't um, <laughs> well, I don't have to receive uh, that. Yeah, I love it. He's always got that great wit. 
This last one, you know, by the way, I was lucky enough to be on the panel of folks picking, and for me it was Paul Gardner 1, Paul Gardner 2, Paul Gardner 3. I'm not saying that to be a sycophant. I'm saying that because you earned it. But I also can say that when I first met you, I was scared of you, you know, as a young press officer, and I don't know why, and I, but I think you probably know why, just in the sense that you carry yourself that way. But over the years, I've spent time with you at the convention. You've been very kind. When you hear someone like me say, hey, when I first met you, I was scared of you, can you laugh that off, Paul, or how do you feel about that? Oh, I'm horrified. Um, <laughs> <laughs> If 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 uh, if I want people to be scared of me, it's certainly not how you just described yourself as um, you know young people coming new to the game. They're they're the last people who, um, in a sense, should be uh, should be scared by anybody. You know, they're there to be encouraged. And I, and, uh, I think on the whole, I always try to do that. But um, some of the older people, yes, um, stick in the muds. I suppose I should call them. I'm probably in that category myself now. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, they uh, they deserve to be uh, frightened a bit. In fact, they deserve to be terrified. Now I come to think of it. <laughs> well, they may have deserved to be terrified. You deserve to be recognized, Paul. I feel like there's going to be more recognitions uh, over the next. Well, they better years. hurry up. I'm 90 years old, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Paul Gardner, congratulations on receiving this inaugural Media Service Award from United Soccer Coaches, and thanks for kicking off this special holiday edition of our podcast. Great to be with you, Paul, and happy holidays to you. Thanks a lot, Dean. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, wow, that was my pleasure. I have been blessed to do a lot of cool things with U.S. soccer and in the game of soccer and with United Soccer Coaches, but to be able to be a part of the panel that voted Paul Gardner this prestigious award, the inaugural one, was very just. And also, as you hear him talk, my wife even reminded me that he sounds so much like Bill Nye of Love Actually. And I love Bill Nye in that movie. I love him in all the movies, but particularly Love Actually. And you hear Paul Gardner's accent and his quick wit. He reminds me of, of Bill Nye. That was awesome. Paul Gardner, congratulations. When we return, we visit with Michael Pallone, the son of the late, great Joe Pallone, who is also going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. Michael Francis Pallone, who, by the way, like his dad, is in the Army Sports Hall of Fame, where Michael played hockey and soccer, including playing soccer for his dad. We'll talk about his dad going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame when we return. Registration for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention is now open. Even though we won't be together in person, the interactive digital event taking place January 11th through 15th, 2021 will still bring the soccer coaching community together for a week of fantastic presenters, diplomas, network opportunities, and more. To register, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan. Back on October 15, 2020, United Soccer Coaches announced the election of three individuals as the newest members of the Association's Hall of Fame. All three will be inducted as members of the 2021 class during the United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention January 11 through 15. They are Ziggy Schmidt. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we heard from Kyle and Kurt Schmidt, as well as Ralph Perez about the late, great Ziggy Schmidt. 
course, Richardson, and also Joe Pallone, the late great leader of the United States Military Academy. He is going into the Hall of Fame. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Pallone served as head coach at the United States Military Academy from 47 to 54, and again from 58 to 78, compiling an impressive 226, 80, and 37 record, good enough for a 713 winning percentage. In all, he spent 36 years at West Point, including 29 as the men's varsity soccer coach. He led Army to 10 NCAA tournament bursts, including four semifinal appearances. 22 of his players earned All-America recognition. He registered 26 winning seasons in his 29 years as head coach, including two unbeaten campaigns in 50 and 51. His team still holds the Army record for longest winning streak at 14 games, spanning the 50-51 seasons. And we are so pleased to be joined by his son, like his dad, a Hall of Famer in his own right, Mike Francis Pallone is a 1968 graduate and earned the coveted Army Athletic Association Award at his graduation in 68, following a standout career in both hockey and soccer. On the ice, Mike earned three varsity letters, scored 38 career goals, and provided 85 assists. At the time of his graduation, his 123 points placed him third in all-time assists and fifth in all-time scoring. Pallone was part of 40 Six victories over his career, led the team in scoring during the 65-66 season with 58 points and was honored with a big-time award as the team's most valuable player. On the soccer pitch, he was the second-team All-America, chosen by the then-named National Soccer Coaches Association of America as a forward after earning regional All-America accolades. Plone helped Army to NCAA bids in all three of the seasons as a varsity letter winner. And as we said, his father, the late, great Joe Pallone, was also inducted into the Army Sports Hall of Fame in 2004. Michael Francis Pallone, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. It's my honor. Thank you very much. Yeah. Now, we understand your dad, who had an incredible career, passed away in 2002 at the age of 92, an incredible run. And, of course, we just had Ziggy Schmidt's kids on as Ziggy passed away in 2018 at the age of 65. When you were notified that your dad was going into the United Soccer Coaches, formerly NSCAA Hall of Fame, how did it make you feel, Michael? Well, it felt wonderful. Um, I was only sad that my dad wasn't around to... Uh, Accept the honor himself. Yeah, well said. And it sounds like, I'm guessing you played for him at Army. Is that right? Am I getting that right? You got that right. I did play for him. And uh, I've said on a couple of occasions, when I played for him, I religiously tried to call him coach. And uh, I think I only screwed up a few times. <laughs> and luckily, my teammates got a big kick out of it. I like it. What's the best way, and I know he's your dad, but uh, if you were with your teammates and you guys were talking about your dad, Joe Pallone, and his Hall of Fame career, now his United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame career, what's the best way to describe the kind of person he was and the kind of coach he was? You know, I typically try to stay away from talking about my dad, about that, you know, as a player, just because I think I'd have a very biased opinion. But I think... Um, he was, a, he was a terrific coach. I think he could put his thumb on what kind of made the players tick, and that was the best thing about it. So you knew exactly what he wanted you to do, and uh, he was pretty straightforward. And I don't think there was a political bone in his body. So uh, if he wasn't pleased with you, you would know it. And if he was pleased with you, you'd know that too. So I guess that's the best way to sum it up. 
Um, that's fair. As we mentioned, you were inducted into the Army Sports Hall of Fame in 2015. I'm assuming you were there in 2004 when your dad was inducted into the Army Sports Hall of Fame. What do you remember about that Hall of Fame? Well, wow, that was wonderful. That was the first year for the Army Sports Hall of Fame. So there were a lot of great names that went in with my dad, like Red Blake, Peter Dawkins, Heisman Trophy winner, Jack Riley, who was a gold medal winner at Squaw Valley in hockey. So that was a thrill. And they actually had that one in New York City. It was a thrill to see him go win the Hall of Fame with so many great people. And being in the first class was uh, quite an honor that I'm sure he would have relished. He loved working at West Point, and I remember once when I was a little kid, we were going home from Christmas vacation, and he said something like, well, you know, I really am looking forward to getting back to work. And I thought, even as a little kid, boy, I sure hope when I get old, I find a job that I like as much as that. So, <laughs> You mentioned earlier that you kind of tried to stay away from talking about what your dad was like as a coach and a person, but I'm assuming you're going to be the man speaking on behalf of your dad as he goes into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. If I'm wrong on that, correct me. If I'm right, what are some of the key points you're hoping to get across on that special evening come mid-January? Well, I thought I'd spend most of the time just thanking an awful lot of people that made his career and made his stay at West Point so pleasant for him. That would include the selection committee and the members of uh, the United Soccer Coaches Association for this wonderful honor. One time, I think when I was a, a senior at West Point, I had to give a speech at some little league banquet that somebody asked me to go do it. I'm kind of like, what in the world am I going to say, you know? And so I asked him about it, and he said, you know, just talk about pride. I go, yeah, and he goes, yeah, P equals uh, perseverance, R's respect, I's integrity, D's determination, and E is enthusiasm. And so that was pretty good thing to do. And then when I thought about that, and I had to write something for the Army SOC. They have a, oh, you know, an alumni association, and they asked me to write something about that. And I put something in there about that. And several of the guys said, you know, that's fantastic because that's what he did for us every day. But maybe I'll mention that. I'm assuming it's a night that uh, everybody named Pallone and the entire family tree will want to get glued in on, right? I'm sure they will, yeah. And I think there are a lot of his former players that also want to do that. I'm not surprised. It's, uh, he certainly had a, a long run. It's interesting. You know, I just interviewed Paul Gardner, who at 90 is still writing at Soccer America. Your dad went to 92, so certainly he had a great run. What do you remember about some of his later years of life, Michael? Well, they moved off of West Point that they, as they had to when he retired in August of 1980, but they only lived maybe five, six, eight miles away. So he enjoyed going to Army soccer games. He loved going to Army football games, and he just liked hanging around the place. I guess we'll end with this, kind of similar to my first question. As he looks down from heaven and watches you accept this award being inducted into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame, very prestigious, what do you think uh, will be on his mind as he looks down and, and watches your speech and you figure out what you're going to talk about? <laughs> Well, I think he'd be very, very, very proud of the fact that he's going into the Hall of Fame. He'd probably be very sad that he wasn't there to thank everybody himself and to tell you how much this really, really meant to or means to him. I guess that's what I would 
to say. That works for me, and you certainly know what it's like to be in the Hall of Fame, as we mentioned, already part of the Army Hall of Fame, where his dad is also in the Army Sports Hall of Fame, but now his dad is going to go into the United Soccer Coasters Hall of Fame, and Michael Francis Malone will be there to accept that great honor as part of the digital convention. Thanks for being part of the United Soccer Coaches podcast and teasing that event that's coming up in early January. Pleasure to spend time with you, Michael Francis Malone, and congratulations in honor of your father. Thank you very much. I'm sure that he is beaming from above. Beaming indeed. When we come back, we put the spotlight on Dr. David Carr, who runs the Ohio University Masters of Soccer Coaching Program. He's a board member and future president of the association as well. The program received a certificate of appreciation, which is pretty cool. Dr. Carr will talk about it on The Bounce. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Sap. I want to thank the legendary columnist for Soccer America, Paul Gardner, for kicking off the show. And then Michael Francis Pallone, the son of Joe Pallone, who's going in to the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. United Soccer Coaches does such a great job recognizing people at all levels, whether it's letters of commendation or certificate of appreciation and not Usually does it go to an entire group, but in this case it does. And we're joined by Dr. David Carr, who's not only a board member for United Soccer Coaches, but he very astutely handles the Ohio University's master's program in conjunction with United Soccer Coaches. And they are also going to be recognized at the digital convention. Dr. Carr, thanks for being with us. Great to be with you. It's pretty cool when the entire aura of what you're doing with the Ohio University master's program is being recognized collectively. It's normally individuals, as you know, Dr. Carr, having been involved with the association for such a long time. I think you, as the head of this incredible program, must be really pleased, really proud. Really honored and and humbled. We had some of our students make the nomination, which says a lot if they had the kind of positive experience with the program and feel that maybe a little added recognition was in order. They took the time to submit a, a nomination for the program. And so I'm, I'm obviously happy to accept it. Anytime that uh, you get a certification of appreciation, you're humbled by it. And well, let's tell everybody again, and I've had you on before, but let's remind everybody because I think more and more people need to go for this master's program. Tell us uh, when it was started and what it's all about, Dr. Carr. I'll give you the, the, the brief history. I started a, a master's degree in 2001 on campus, and it was for all sports, all levels. And it was to recognize a need to develop better prepared coaches. We then were able to develop our online program, and we took the campus program, again, all sports, all levels, and put it online in 2008. So we've been working online for a long time because of my background, my interest, my relationship with United Soccer Coaches. It seemed to be a natural that we could create a sports-specific program in soccer 
So I did the academic work to sort of put that together, made the pitch to the faculty, the program got approved, and we were able to launch the only sports-specific coaching education program in the country in 2013. And it is still the only sports-specific coaching program in the U.S. And it was a natural to partner with the United Soccer Coaches we have so much in common, you know, the education side, the relationship directly to coaches. So that's been a wonderful relationship. We've had uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 175 graduates that actually have a master's degree in soccer coaching. We admit two groups a year in January and June, and we have approximately 65 currently enrolled students in the program. And we're getting ready for our next group that's going to join us at the convention. The success stories coming out of it, it's interesting uh, hosting this podcast. We spend time meeting all 30 members of the 30 under 30. And then every once in a while, I run into members that went through your program, getting their master's of coaching at Ohio University. The success stories are amazing. They talk about having that master's made a big difference in them getting their dream jobs. We were very confident that if somebody were to enroll and go through the program, earn their degree and then pursue what their personal or professional interest was in the game, having that degree was going to at least open a door. They still had to walk through the door. They still had to make the case for their abilities to be the coach at whatever particular level, but it's worked out really well that it is A, open doors, and B, a lot of people who have gotten degrees have stepped to the next level or to the level that they aspire to. Just so people understand, how long does it take to get a master's of coaching as part of this great master's at Ohio U? Yeah, this is a part-time online program. So it allows coaches to continue to live at home, work with their family, have a job. Maybe it's coaching. We have part-time coaches. They take two courses a semester. It takes five semesters to complete the program. It's 30 credit hours. It's nine online courses and then we have a short five-day residency designed at the beginning and another one designed at the end where we bring those coaches together. We actually can work with them on the field, do some other classroom specialty kinds of things that are sometimes easier to do in face-to-face -face environments rather than online. Roughly 18 to 20 months. 18 to 20 months. Outstanding. We're here with Dr. David Carr, who heads up the Ohio University Masters of Soccer Coaching program in line with United Soccer Coaches. And your commitment to the United Soccer Coaches runs deeper. You're now on the board. I'm not quite sure what year you're going to be Presidente. Is that coming down the road, Dr. Carr? Uh, yeah, it should be the um, calendar year of 2023. All right, we'll be clear of COVID. You'll be ready to get some things done, right? Yeah, we're hoping. Yeah, we're hoping. We're looking to, to you know, it'd be fun to, you know, have everybody back at a full convention and, and be able to get back on the field and do our coaching education, wide variety of coaching education courses and look at some new initiatives and some other things that we've been working on as the board. We've had a lot of Zoom sessions this year. <laughs> uh, so we're all very connected. We're all very involved in... Uh, a, getting through this crisis and then looking to the future when we can hopefully get somewhere back to normal. Simple one, softball, aligning yourself with this master's program with United Soccer Coaches is one thing. Committing to be part of the board and being a future president is another thing, but it all means to me that you love the association. Very much, very much. I was struck, I periodically asked, this, how did you get involved? And I was playing at the University of Maine and my coach was a member. And I didn't even know there was such an association for soccer coaches at the time. 
And there was a copy of the soccer journal on a little table in his office. And I saw it and looked through it. And I said, wow, they even have a journal. They're talking about the game. And on the last page was a way to become a member. And so I tore it out with his permission and wrote a check and, and became a member when I was a junior in college. So I've been, I've been at it for a long time which is, it's been wonderful. Well, I love it. And I like the wonderful ties, whether you like it or not, Dr. Carr, you're always going to be connected to me and you probably don't like it, but uh, you can't escape me because uh, I'm a Bobcat as well. Proud graduate of the Scripps School of Journalism. Ohio University is famously known for their master's in sports management. So it only makes sense that they would also have a master in sports coaching. We'll always have that tie. Bobcats forever now, Dr. Carr. Absolutely. For sure. The sports administration program, which has done absolutely wonderful things, both on campus and online. We were in the same department and we worked side by side for years. I used to run the undergrad sport management degree as a coordinator. About 10 years ago, uh, decisions were made to move the sports admin program to the College of Business and, and they kind of took their whole operation there and we became part of the College of Education. So we still work together. We're still collaborative, but we're in different buildings now. Well, my class time checklist may have not gone over too well with you. So I'm glad that you came after I left, if you know what I'm talking about, Dr. Carr. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Happy now, Athens is a wonderful place. So we're excited for the future and, and how we're going to you know, move all our programs forward. That's so well said. In a non-COVID year, usually my family will stop by Athens, Ohio for a quick visit on our way up to Toledo to see my mom and dad. So Dr. Carr, thanks for being with us. Thanks for all you do. And congratulations on your certificate of appreciation for this incredible master's program that you're running. Happy holidays, Dr. Carr. Thanks, Dean. You too. Happy holidays. All right. We're not done talking about the digital convention. We come back. Amy Griffin, who, by the way, was on that 1991 World Championship team coached by Anson Dorrance, the U.S. women's national team over in China. She was the longtime associate head coach to Leslie Gallimore out at the University of Washington. She's now the technical director for the O.L. Rain Academy, and she's also been the coach for the U.S. Deaf national team. She is moderating a panel called, get this, during this time, Embracing Challenges and Developing Resiliency. On that panel that she's moderating, Kia McNeil, the coach at Brown, who we've already had on the podcast earlier, Samantha Snow, and the legend that is Christine Lilly. Amy Griffin breaking down her presentation that will be featured at the digital convention titled Embracing Challenges and Developing Resiliency when we return. High School Coaches are presented unique challenges both on and off the field of play. The United Soccer Coaches High School Diploma, now delivered in an all-online format, supplies coaches with the knowledge needed to perform the distinctive role high school coaches play in the development of young players. This updated diploma takes a look at the ongoing duties of the high school coach and how to better prepare them for the responsibilities given to them in that position. For more information or to register, go to unitedsoccercoaches.org education. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, a laser focus on the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Convention, which will be January 11 through 15. We've talked to award winners, and now we want to talk to a presenter. She is actually moderating a great presentation 
called Embracing Challenges and Developing Resilience. And we're talking about Amy Griffin, who I've known forever. She was a part of that 91 team that won the world championship under Anson Dorrance. On that team was Christine Lilly, who, by the way, is on this panel, along with Kia McNeil, who we've had on the podcast, and Samantha Snow. Amy Griffin, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, and happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you. Same goes to you. First of all, Amy Griffin, by the way, is now the technical director of the Olel Rain Academy. She's also been the longtime coach of the Deaf U.S. national team. We'll talk a little bit about that, but this is a great topic. I mean, you talk about embracing challenges and developing resilience. COVID will do a little bit of that for you, right? For sure. I mean, that's such a great example is some people think you either have it or you don't. And I'm sure there's some people now that maybe didn't think they had that resilience piece that have learned it can be learned because we have been forced to learn it. You know, it's, it's all a matter of perspective. Well, let's dive into this because I understand it's already done. And it'll be part of the January 11 through 15. And I understand it's a can't miss. And Kia's a rock star. It's so great to see what she's doing as one of a handful of African-American head coaches, Christine Lilly, one of the all-time greats, and Samantha Snow, a mover and a shaker. What are some things that you pulled out of the presentation? Obviously, don't give everything away, Amy, but tease us a little bit. I had a wonderful time moderating because I learned I learned a lot. I think everyone has some insightful stories, and I think stories make have this gravitational pull to, well, what's next? So I think the stories and then, well, what are some actual to-do items other than just listening to the fluff? And I think there was some really great insight of what has worked for those coaches. I mean, Christine Lilly, more career appearances than anyone in the world, both male or female. If anyone wants to talk about resilience, there you have it. And even the important role these coaches have in sharing their stories and showing these young athletes how they can do the very same things. And like, uh, you know, Kia said, you know, adversity is hard. Adversity is hard. So it's the coach's job to help teach these players how to not just go to the wall and, and run away from it, but go through the wall and get out on the other side and, and the value in that for, for now while they're going through sports and, and on forever. And what do you remember about the words of wisdom from Samantha Snow? Well, it was funny because when I first interviewed her before we got on the podcast, she goes, I don't know why we should be doing this. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing special about me. I mean, absolutely nothing has come easy and nothing has gone as planned. And I said, that's exactly why you're here, right? And and she was one of those people that said, you know, in one year, I'm going to be here at place X. And in five years, I'm going to be here. And she's nowhere where she thought she'd be, but she's in a much better place, both emotionally and, and what she knows she can give to the communities that she serves because she was willing to be vulnerable and willing to say, okay, if I have an injury or if this has happened in my life, how can I make the most of it? And then able to sort of pivot versus being so laser focused on what she thinks she's supposed to do or taking this setback as something that defines her. She's everyone in this webinar has, has said, you know, this thing, I didn't, I thought it was horrible. And now I realized it was a, a really great tool I needed for the next best thing. The name of the presentation again, embracing challenges and developing resilience. Amy Griffin is the moderator, Kia McNeil, Christine Lilly, Samantha Snow, and I feel like you're the perfect moderator. I mean, you think about what you do as the coach of the deaf U.S. national team, seeing all of the adversity and the resilience that those players have had to overcome on and off the field really makes you the perfect moderator, I think. And what have you learned from them? 
being able to work with that team is probably one of the best blessings I've been given. When you get to jump in a jump on a field of players that are age range from age 13 to 41 and all have a different hearing ability and a way to communicate, I was welcomed in this like automatically knew I was in this safe environment of everyone said, hey, I've been like you, because I couldn't understand not even close to 100% of what they were trying to communicate to me. And you walk onto that field and they smile and they look at you and say, you're okay. You're okay. We can do this. And I feel like just being able to advocate for them and realizing that we are so much better together than we are separately. And when you're in a spot around people that support you, you realize you can be better and you can be more courageous and you can be more brave and you can think outside the box. And I think that's what coaching the deaf women's national team has, has taught me for sure. That's just one reason why you're the perfect moderator for embracing challenges and developing resiliency. The other thing is for 25 years or thereabouts, you were the associate head coach with Leslie Gallimore, who stepped down at Washington Perhaps you thought maybe you should have got that job and you probably should, but instead you've got a new role where you're the technical director of the Olau Rain Academy. So now you got to do something entirely different and that's not easy. Not, not even close. You know, I, I was like, oh, you soccer, how hard can it be? But I was used to dealing with, you know, 25 players and a, and a very small staff. And so it was very easy to, to move together collaboratively. And now being in charge of a, a club that's attached to a professional team uh, in the OL Reign that's also attached to Olympic Lyon, which is in France. Now I, I've realized that if you tip one domino, they all tip. So uh, I better make sure it tips in such a positive way. And the, the communication and collaboration takes a lot more planning. And for sure, you have to be vulnerable and say, hey, look, I'm trying. And yes, I royally made a mistake in one avenue or another, but it's the only way to get better is to start somewhere. And I love the fact that we're a newer club because building it is, is a little bit easier and going to be a lot more meaningful because however... However, we roll together as a staff, I can say I had a big part in it. So yeah, oh my gosh, talk about talk about embracing challenges for sure. I thought initially that this was embarrassing challenges and the way I started out that it probably would have even been more true to form. <laughs> well, it's real life and it is meaningful. Embracing challenges and developing resiliency. As we wrap it up, Amy Griffin, of course, will be the moderator, the world champion, Kia McNeil, who you know about, Samantha Snow, Christine Lilly, and just a couple sentences. Why is this a can't miss for all the members of United Soccer Coaches as they start to pick through the presentations that they need to try to watch? The great thing about it is they're going to be able to watch them later once they sign up. But in your best way, what's the takeaway from this presentation, Amy? Well, I have to say it's probably a talking point of a lot of coaches at every level is, man, you know, we all talk about oh, kids just aren't what they used to be. And we say that every generation, every generation, we, you know, my parents were tougher than I was. I'm probably going to be tougher than my kids are. And it's just this effect, but no one really wants to dig deeper. They just want to find the next best kid. And this talk really is telling you that they are right in front of you and they're looking for support and they're looking for some tough conversations and they're looking for, for the right person to help them be those people that, that you're talking about, just a little bit grittier, a little bit tougher, a little bit more honest with who they are and realizing that who they are is absolutely phenomenal. I feel like everyone's talking about it, but now dealing with it in a, in a positive way and feeling good about it, I think this is why you'd want to tune in for sure. You mentioned kids. We were just kids when we first met. Uh, 
1989. I was still in college. I think you were too. Those were great times, weren't they? They were awesome times. And I think I think if we can unwind a little bit of this white noise and craziness about what everyone's visions of sports should be, it really should be about playing, having fun, hanging out with your friends and everything else, the college scholarship, the gold medal podium, the wins, that's just a bonus. Everything else is why we're all here together to play. And it's funny when, when you called and you introduced yourself, your voice is recognizable. And even though we haven't spoken in forever, I knew exactly who it was. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was awesome. So. Well, it's awesome to have you on the show and I can't wait for your presentation. Amy Griffin moderating a great topic. Again, embracing challenges and developing resiliency with Kia McNeil, Samantha Snow, and Christine Lilly. I can't miss presentation as part of the digital convention. Happy holidays, Amy. Great to see your smiling face. Thanks. You too. All the best. Down the stretch run we go. We meet another member of our 3030 class, and then we end with Big Ten and 10, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, Mike O'Neill and Casey Murphy, who's now with the North Carolina Courage. We'll be back after this message. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap, my favorite part of the show. We get to meet another member of our 30 under 30 class. We're so pleased to be joined by Zach Kruger, who's now in his second season as the Seton Hill head coach. And I want to emphasize Hill, that's in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, Division II. He also played Division II. In fact, I think his alma mater is in the same conference. I'll get clarification on that. But first, let me welcome Zach to this special holiday edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Zach, thanks for joining us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Zach, you're on the same show that Paul Gardner kicks off. I'm hoping at some point you've read a Paul Gardner column in Soccer America. Please tell me you have. I have. It's, it's been a while since I've gone back to some of that stuff. Like earlier in my career, when I was at Millersville and at SHIP, I was reading a lot of that stuff. But lately, I've been like doing a lot of researching what drives winning and kind of trying to do more collective team stuff to keep my team together through all this craziness. Some of those activities have been great though, the keeping the kids together and communicating. So, all right, well, let's talk about your path. Tell us where you grew up, where you played club soccer and why you picked Millersville to play your collegiate soccer. I got a crazy story. Yeah, I grew up in Hanover, Pennsylvania, which is if you have ever had Snyder's pretzels or Oats potato chips or Martin's potato chips, they're all in the, right there in Hanover. So snack food capital of the world. It's in York County, Pennsylvania, which is like right outside Gettysburg. Grew up playing like rec for a while and then, I moved on to Supernova out of Harrisburg, which is a little bit better club. Had a couple of friends that I played ODP with that were there. So I just kind of made that jump. And then I ended up going down to the Baltimore Bays, which are now Baltimore Armor. Way better competition, a little bit closer to home because, you know, I was around the PA Maryland line. Um, so I did that through high school. Some of my friends who I'm still best friends with today, they all played club with me. So um, we all stayed pretty close, which has been great. I actually went to a Division three school and then transferred into Millersville. Didn't realize though when I transferred to Millersville that they were ranked number one in the country for division two on the men's side. So going from a division three school in Virginia, then transferring to Millersville, it was an eye opener from like a level, but I, I loved it. It was, it, was, it was a lot of fun and I had a couple injuries. So I ended up coaching earlier and then going back to playing then later, a little bit closer to home too. You know, I don't know. I just, 
So the state school environment for Millersville was a much better fit for me as a student, more so than an athlete, but it just worked out that it was a great place for me to play as well. Well, and you spent some time, as you mentioned, even while you were playing there coaching, you stayed around and then you went to a couple of different places. Talk about where you've coached before you arrived at Seton Hill University with the Griffins. Yeah, so I left to Millersville in 2014 and I took over a high school program in Maryland down towards Annapolis. I coached the girls there for two years went to um, one sectional final and then one regional final, which is like our district championship or, you know, whatever states call it. Very, very good talent. We were a large school, so we were in the, the largest division we could be in. I actually lost to my roommate both times, so that was fun. So then, yeah, you know, after, after my second year, I was like, I really enjoy – I was also a teacher at a high school, so I was like, man, I really enjoy the, the coaching piece a lot more than I thought that I – that I really would. I reached back out to my mentors and they said, well, if it's working out and you really like it and you're finding a lot of success and you want to make that jump back into the college level, then go be a grad assistant. So I applied to a bunch of positions. Um, just so happened that Widow at Millersville was a good friend with Jeremy at SHIP. So the same conference again. So I, I made the move as my wife, well now wife is graduating. We made the move to Shippensburg. So I go be a grad assistant. Piece of advice, don't ever go make money to then go back to not making money. That was, <laughs> that, was, that was a rough time to be alive. But um, yeah, we moved to Shippensburg for two years, graduated with my master's in education, coached both sides of the ball there. I graduated there and I took a job as a part-time head coach as a, at a division three school. It was called Wilson College, which is 10 minutes south of ship. It was in Chambersburg, ranked like, there's like what, 438 teams in division three. When I took over the program, they had 126 goals against and were ranked 436th. So, you know, you had to step out on the limb and take an opportunity. So it also provided a, a place for my wife to keep her job where she was, decided to do that, did that for a year. I was applying to places, but nothing really stuck. Wasn't really getting too many interviews. And then Andy at Seton Hill called me and he's like, hey man, like my wife's from North Carolina. She's been wanting to have kids. So, so we're going to be moving closer to her parents. He's like, so I actually got, just, I just got a job in North Carolina. Would you be interested in Seton Hill? And I was like, Absolutely, I would be. So he uh, gave my information to the AD. He's like, that hopefully we'll get you an interview. And then from there, you got to sell yourself. So got an interview and then got really, really lucky, fortunate. The other finalists that I, that I know were for the job were also very, very qualified, very good coaches. One of them is like one of my best friends. So, you know, we're really fortunate to be in the position we're in. So that's kind of my story. I like that story. And I like the way yeah. you tell it as well with, with great passion. What was your story about wanting to be a part of the 30 under 30? Had you tried a couple of times or what made you say, hey, I want to be a part of this great class? I applied for that every year for the last four years. This is my last chance of getting it. And I actually reached out to a bunch of my friends who were in the program the last couple of years, asking for advice of like how to get in. Uh, it's just, it just provides a platform for people to connect. It's obviously a learning opportunity to get to meet people who come from different backgrounds, different you know ethnic backgrounds as well, cultural backgrounds. It's just another way to continue to learn and grow as a coach. You know, I'm very involved. I coach ODP, coach club, coach college. So for me, it's, it's a way that can hopefully impact my players in a better way and give them more opportunities too. So, you know, it's just something for me that was always like, I absolutely want to do this. I want to learn. I want to grow. And this is just the program to, that if you want to do that, you know, and as a young coach, I, like, I want to have a successful career. So this is a, a platform to help me as a younger coach. And, you know, why would you not jump in that? I feel like everyone has a little bit different takeaway from the program, I'm sure. But for me, it's just about trying to be a sponge. You know, I'm still not 30 years old yet. So trying to be a sponge, learn, learn, learn. And then hopefully when I'm 60, I'm still doing this. 
Well said indeed, as we already had Paul Gardner and we also had the son of Joe Pallone, who's going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. Who knows, 40 years from now, we could be talking to you, Zach, about going in to the Hall of Fame. When you got the call that you were part of this 30 under 30 class, who was the first person you called? Was it your wife or your mom? <laughs> Uh, funny story with that, man. I was I run a podcast too. So I was actually recording a podcast episode and I got the call and I'm like, I stopped like mid-sense. I'm like, my buddy Cole Orner, who also was trying to get into the program. I was like, yo, dude, I think, I think this is them calling me that I got in. And then they emailed me. So because like I had all my screens up, you know, as we were recording. So we actually got like a live, like recorded reaction of me getting it. And I was just like, I was so happy. It was awesome. And obviously, like I freaked out. It was, you know. One of those things that I felt like I've been trying to kind of get into and for a long time now. And, you know, last year I thought I had a chance, but, you know, they got in like the upper 90 or whatever that was, that program was called. And then nothing really came out of that. But that was something that I was like, all right, I'm getting closer. Like, I feel like I'm getting, I'm getting there. And um, so I went and got my C license. So that I think maybe was another little piece that I could have you know, just to help me at least try and get in. So yeah, I have a, I have a recording of it. It's, it's kind of embarrassing, honestly, how, how <laughs> I was like a little kid with it, you know, but that's awesome. I, yeah. I check that out. We're all about uh, plugging and promoting on the show. Tell me about your podcast, when you started it and uh, how often it airs and where we can find it. It's called the set position. So I was a goalkeeper and my, my best friend Cole was, uh, was a goalkeeper as well. We, we both played at Millersville to get, well, he was after me, but we both played at Millersville. He's the assistant women's coach at North Carolina Wesleyan, which is a division three school in the USA South. So we record about, we were doing it every day during quarantine. You know, we were like, we got to keep doing something. You can find on Spotify or Instagram. You know, we've had Omar Zini on, who's also in the 30 under 30 class. He's another goalkeeper guy who's just is brilliant. If you haven't watched him at all, like, you guys are missing out. He's amazing. So yeah, it's just about connecting with coaches and sharing stories, honestly. Like, I mean, you know, when you guys go to the convention, everyone goes out and has dinner or gets beers together. And we all talk about all these stories. We wanted to perform, like, just have a platform for people to share stories, you know, of stuff that they screwed up with as a coach or things they learned as a coach. Like it's nothing that's, you know, official, like there's no script. So it's just very fluid, but yeah, that's kind of what we started it for. And then it talks a lot about goalkeeping as well, but it's, it's soccer in general, really. You can rift with the best of them. I can see that already. Say the name one more time so I can log it. Yeah, yeah. It's called the uh, set position. The set position. Okay, that's yeah. fantastic. All right. Well, right now your position is with the Griffins. Ten years from now, where do you see yourself? Hopefully still with the Griffins. Yeah, you know, me and my wife just bought a house and, you know, we're trying to have kids. And that's why I like the Division Two. It's a great balance between, like, your, your social life and, like, your work life. So for us to be able to kind of put some roots in a little bit it's a great school it's a great program andy the previous coach did a great job of establishing such a great rhythm with them being regionally and nationally ranked you know the school really does a great job of supplying us you know with a great budget farthest trips only two hours you know it, it just checks off so many boxes for like and then the, the biggest thing to me is like my values as a person absolutely align with the values of the university so you know it's just it's a perfect fit I, i'm hoping to be here a while and you know if something happens where there's a, an, an amazing opportunity somewhere else i'd have to sit down and have a conversation with my wife but i feel like we're in a spot like we want to kind of i've been bouncing around a lot i'm trying to trying, trying to chill for a minute you know <laughs> yeah no, that works for me i like that there's nothing wrong with that plan at all as we're here with 30 under 30 members zach krueger's part of our holiday edition of the united soccer coaches podcast i want to end with this because you look like a fun guy i love that you're doing that podcast and you look like you also like sports outside of soccer i'm not sure about that or not but uh, if you could give us your favorite team soccer and otherwise who are the teams that you root for zach 
Yeah, I'm, I am a Chelsea fan because uh, the Baltimore Bays were sponsored by Chelsea. So I was like, I guess I'm a Chelsea fan. I'm at, from outside Baltimore, like Hanover, Pennsylvania is right outside, you know, within an hour of Baltimore. So I'm a huge Ravens fan, even though I live in Pittsburgh. I get crap for that all the time, but it's cool. I love the Caps, the Washington Capitals. Hockey is the one sport I wish I would have been able to play, which I never did. And then the Orioles, you know, they, they're not great, but I try to support them still. I'll tell you what, it took you four years to get in. I'm thinking it'll probably take me 14 years to get on your podcast, but I'll I'll keep hoping there's a dream out there for me, Zach. You know what I mean? I'm if you want to come on, man, absolutely. <laughs> you know? I mean, your, your, your podcast is obviously legendary. So if you want to come on and help us out, that'd be great. Anytime, my man. I like, uh, I like the way, I like the way you talk. I like your energy and this is great to spend time with you. Happy holidays to you and your wife and good luck growing that family and good luck with the Griffins, my man. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You, you, you as well, man. Have a great holiday with your family. And I know you do a lot. So try to take a minute and spend a day with some family you know that sounds good zach krueger 30 under 30 we're back to wrap it up with rutgers women's soccer michael neal casey murphy to end the show united soccer coaches advanced diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge advance your career and improve your players development now with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning coaches with ever demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible visit unitedsoccercoaches.org advanced diplomas for more information Welcome to Big Ten Women's Soccer in 10, a visit with all 14 coaching staffs for the Big Ten Women's Soccer teams and one distinguished alumni. I'm Dean Linky, along with Hannah Davison, a former All-Big Tener from Northwestern. And today, we're talking Rutgers Women's Soccer. That means we get to hang out with their top man, Mike O'Neill, and arguably one of the best ever to play goal in the Big Ten, Rutgers two-time Big Ten Goalkeeper of the Year, Casey Murphy. Mike, as we start, I do like to make a couple points, and that is I need to remind people that Tony Miola, John Harts, and even Tab Ramos, to a lesser degree, are not the only reason that Kearney, New Jersey, is Soccer Town, USA. I got to give you props there. And then with that, Mike O'Neill, I feel like I got to scream from the mountaintops. You've been with Rutgers for 21 years. You made the NCAA tournament every single year. You made the College Cup in 2015 and not enough people talk about how great your program is. So now you can go. Rutgers is legit, Mike. You've done a really nice job there. Thank you so much. But, I, you know, I'm fortunate that I have a, one of the best coaching staffs in the country. We're surrounded by good people, good players, players of character, players of talent that understand what we're looking for. We talk so much about the Rutgers standard. The Rutgers standard is you have to come out and get better every day, whether that be in the classroom or on the field. But we talk the, about the importance of a hard day's work and enjoying what we do. Uh, so we try to find the right players that we feel uh, fit into our program and understand the importance of family. It's been a large part of the success of our program for many years. And Mike, how proud of you are you of Casey and the success that she not only had at her time uh, at Rutgers, but now transitioning into her professional career, first playing overseas in France and then seeing minutes uh, in the NWSL. Yeah, really proud. So Casey is a high-performance person, high-performance player. The thing that I, I enjoy so much about Casey and have enjoyed so much over the years is that she puts the work in, that she understands if she wants to be one of the best, then you got to work. And it sets such a good example for the players in our program that were playing with Casey and that now the players that are currently here, because everybody knows who Casey Murphy is. The one thing I have about Casey, and there's many things that I 
love about Casey is that she never forgets where she comes from. Um, like I said, she, uh, I think she's one of the best keepers in the country. She believes that she's a center forward. So I've had to deal with that. But we are so proud of Casey. Let's go to Casey. Casey Murphy, 50 shutouts, two-time Big Ten Goalkeeper of the Year. You were part of the U-20 World Cup team, and you're, in my opinion, your career is only beginning. When you look at where you are now, how much did Mike O'Neill and Rutgers help you develop? Yeah, he was a huge impact in my career so far. I grew up playing for him at PDA, the Players Development Academy, and he just instilled like such good habits in my training on and off the field. Overall, super motivational and always got the best out of me by just pushing me and, and forcing me to challenge myself every day to be better. And I think that that like having him um, from such a young age um, instill those habits really helped me going forward to reach my goal when I was playing collegiately to be a professional. And now that I'm proud to go to that next level. I was just so impressed looking at your stats going into this that you hold just about every single record there is that a defensive player can hold. But I'd love to hear more about your sophomore season. You guys made it to the College Cup final, first time in your program history. Your breaking records left night, that was I think your 19th shutout, which is still the standing record at Rutgers. But you also went into PKs against Virginia. And not only did you stop two PKs, but you converted one yourself. Can you just walk us through <laughs> what was going through your mind going up to not only make those saves, but then also, you know, put one up for your team? It all goes back to Coach Mike and Coach Meg and the whole staff. Like, they just worked with our back line every single practice, focusing on not giving up any goals, not giving up crosses, not giving up shots. So, yeah, it was just like a mentality that we were going to, be a brick wall back there and and uh so a lot of the times my back line like totally like stopped it all but um yeah i did have their back a couple times when it did go through i think the uva game uh was definitely one of my most memorable experiences or games at Rutgers because yeah it's penalty shootouts as a goalkeeper just love that situation to be in um as mike said i you know wanted to take one because yes i do like playing on the field sometimes, which he did let me be a neutral here and there, which was nice. <laughs> it was just a great time to be part of the program. And um, yeah, to move on to the College Cup, I still talk about to this day of making it to the Final Four. So yeah, it was definitely a really cool experience. Mike, as you know, because of the U-20 World Cup, Casey Murphy actually had an extra year of eligibility. She went to you to make that decision. What do you remember about that time? Yeah, I remember when she came back from the U-20 when she came back, she was pretty adamant that playing pro was the priority. But it was important to me and important to her mother and father that she got at least another year in to get closer to that degree. So she made the decision to come back. And like Hannah said, there was there's the records that she broke. I don't know if there's if she came back for a fourth year, there wouldn't have been a record that she wouldn't have broke. Um, but she broke records, uh, won awards, and got prepared for that decision. Coming back from the U-20s, it was clear that this was something that she wanted to do. And we didn't really, that her senior, her, her that uh, time that she had to make the decision to come back, I, I don't even think we discussed it much, Case, right? We just, we both just felt you were ready. And I remember Casey came back one time and asked me, she says, uh, how come you never asked me to stay? I just knew she was ready. And uh, for me, it's, uh, I support Casey in that decision. Reflect on that, Case. Yeah, I, it, like, it goes back to his support since I was 
13 years old playing for PBA. Like he's always had my back. He's always had my best interests, pushed me to be my best. And I think we knew when I got back from playing with the under 20s in the World Cup that it was time for me to, you know, take the next step, embrace the next challenge. And for me, that was going overseas and playing. And obviously it was very like emotional at the time to not play another uh, year with Mike and the coaching staff there. My goalkeeper coach, uh, Lou Bosch, is absolutely unbelievable. One of the best goalkeeper coaches I've ever trained with. So to leave that was very hard, but I knew that I needed that game experience, um, especially overseas, to start to take the next steps to playing at the highest level. Mike O'Neill, to you, Casey Murphy personifies Rutgers women's soccer because why? Because every day, Casey goes out to get better. We talk so much about coming out, working hard. At the end of the day, you need to be able to look at yourself and recognize that you became a better player today. And I think that we've had some great players in our program. And I think that that was one of the driving forces for Casey, is that there wasn't a day that she didn't come out onto the pitch to get better. And finally, Casey Murphy, when you think of Rutgers women's soccer in one sentence, it means what to you? Like Mike said, it's where I came from. And and so I think about it every day and the culture they have there and the habits they instilled in me. And it's just such a great environment and team to be a part of. Pay attention, folks. Since Mike O'Neill's taken over, Rutgers has been in the NCAA tournament every single year. Pay attention. Thanks for being with us. Mike O'Neill, Casey Murphy, Rutgers Women's Soccer, Big Ten Women's Soccer in 10. So that's going to do it for our special holiday edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I want to thank Sean Chevrolet and Mike Knipper of United Soccer Coaches and all the great people there. I want to thank Colin Thrash for producing this great show. And on behalf of each and every member of United Soccer Coaches, happy holidays. I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.